Welcome to the Emergency Management Network Podcast. Emergency Management's trusted voice, sponsored by Disaster Tech, the Natural Disaster and Emergency Management Expo, and Titan HST. Hey guys, this is Todd DeVoe here, and with me today I have Jackie Cochitamayo, and we are getting into some leadership conversation, so Jackie said she would step in, but we also have a special guest with us who's in the other booth, which is our awesome, awesome producer, Brian Colbert. Brian, why don't you introduce yourself really quick? Hello, my name is Brian. <laughs> so Brian's going to be the elusive voice in the sky. One of the things that we really wanted to get into is when we talk about leadership and really what it means um, is, is having like honest conversation, honest, deep conversation about leadership because it's all these, there's thousands of books out there, right? About leadership and you can get feel good books on leadership and you can get books on like leaders eat last and all those kind of things. But that really just is like, this opinion, like, how do you actually put that stuff into practice? And that's the concept of what we wanted to do here at Leaders Cafe and have those, you know, open and honest conversations. And Jackie and I, we're dealing with some stuff with organizations, organizational leadership. And so I thought, yeah. So, <laughs> and so Jackie and I got into this. And so Jackie, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself to the crowd? And uh, appreciate you. Awesome. So I'm Jackie Kochi Tamayo. I am so grateful to be here today. And I am currently an emergency manager. And I've been in the government field for approximately now 23 years. I started when I was 18. That's kidding. I'm kidding. I did it. Seven. But, started when you're seven. Oh, yeah. I'm seven. That's a, a better answer. No, but currently, I am an emergency manager, and my master's degree is actually in leadership and management. So leadership is a really big part of my trajectory with education, but also being able to lead teams of two or three to up to teams of 50 during crisis times and community events of volunteer organizations and in a lot of government functions. So a lot of the stuff that I learned through my education were good tools, but the practice of leadership is actually very important in understanding how to use your tools for different situations because even though you think one way should be perfectly done aligned from A to Z, it's sometimes it takes a curve. So how do you use those tools, those lessons that you've learned and continue to build and grow when you're conducting or leading volunteers or employees or different groups? And leadership is not only, I am a firm believer, it's not only the title, it's the practice. So it doesn't matter what level you're in, it's just a practice. I'm very, pretty, very, I'm very passionate about leadership because it is such a extensive tool and people think it's so broad but you can actually narrow it down depending on the scope of it i don't think leadership is ever a title you know it's what i mean it. even like a ceo of a company doesn't necessarily mean he's a great leader we talk a lot about apple right because apple has like apple products and steve jobs and all the stuff he did steve jobs is an asshole everything that's been written about this guy 
he was a complete not fun person. Not a fun person to be around. I don't think that was a leader. I think he had some innovative, great ideas. He was one of the smartest people around and all this kind of stuff. But he wasn't a nice person. That's what I know. But <laughs> we'll go from there. But evidently, good in that movie. Steve Jobs doing what he does. He's created this unbelievable organization, but I really wouldn't put him as one of the top leaders in the world. Awesome thinker, awesome designer, unbelievably meticulous when it comes to that stuff. But I don't think I'd want to be part of his organization. It's because (sighs) there's also a difference between leadership and management that many people don't think know and understand. And sometimes when you are producing product or you're producing high levels, you're managing a great team. You're managing the product. You're managing the scopes. You're managing the creativity and the build. And I think that is essential in any organization, but when you cannot transition it to get a buy-in from your team to follow and love and, continue to grow and walk and produce through the way you act and when the way you bring things together, that's where the disconnect is in the organization. I think leadership is embracing everyone's creativity, everybody's ability to produce and let them go. You want to shepherd their growth you want to shepherd their progress you don't want to manage them or pigeonhole them and i think one of the things that steve jobs failed to do with a lot of his employees was shepherd being that cheerleader behind them and really letting it go because management's one thing but being that leader and not fearing that they're going to do well and sometimes maybe outshine you for one second is mm. imperative because the best leaders are building teachers. Yeah. And I think that's imperative for all of us to understand is you want, as a leader, you want your student to start becoming the teacher. Now, one of the things that I think is interesting in, in the book from good to great uh, by Jim Collins, he talks about the fact that there's been leaders from organizations that have built organizations up and when they left the organization didn't die and just and it thrived and so he goes to the idea that a great leader can build an organization that can survive without them because they've built people mm-hmm. underneath them that can step up and take that job and realistically if you want to bring the military into it if you look at the marine corps Right. And the leadership that they instill into their young Marines. And so they're telling you as a E1, as a first guy that just graduated from boot camp, that you have leadership abilities and you have leadership roles with your organization. And then like even to the point that where you have like senior junior enlisted, right? Backwards, but like junior enlisted are or guys that are not NCO. So if you're an E5 or E3 and below, you're your junior enlisted. E4 and 5s are like your mid kind of guys and 6, 7s and so forth. Right. So if you have been a Lance Corporal for, say, two years or whatever, and you have a Lance Corporal who's only been around for a year, you outrank that guy. Right. And you're going to lead that organization. And so 
you're instilled at a young age of how to lead an organization. And I think that's some of the stuff that what we don't do in, in, in the culture, specifically in emergency management, is we have chiefs or whatever your department head, your section chiefs, whatever. And are they instilling and are they developing that person who just joined the organization to lead in their absence? And I don't see a lot of that happening in emergency management. And the other side of it too, is you see emergency management a lot of times working in silos, but that's a whole different story, right? And when I was running a volunteer organization, I, I gave each of my volunteers, I treated them as employees, number one. And then number two, I gave them leadership roles within the organization and developed leadership, even people who've, we had our CERT team, for instance, and we gave them all, everybody had roles and responsibilities. We had job descriptions written out for them and we had leadership with amongst that. And that means like when, for instance, for our EOC team, um, when we had an activation, I could call up the EOC team and they, people live closer to the police station and they were able to get the EOC up and running by the time I got to the city, because I lived about 30 minutes mm -hmm. away. By the time I got there, that EOC was up and running, ready to go. And they knew, and I knew that they could get in and do it without having to be directed and micromanaged and go through the thing. And that's how I expect my teams to be able to run. Right. Because I give them the autonomy to do. Yeah. We train them obviously, and we give them the authority and the ability to do this and then one other thing too though is i never gave them i gave them responsibility right and i gave them the authority but i i didn't take i didn't give them the to the point of something went sideways i took the responsibility for it right so you can delegate authority but you can't delegate responsibility and so that has to be owned on you as the leader right i think that's the difference when you look at leadership from especially in crisis times that somebody who can own that problem right and not deflect the problem and that's what i think that's the mark of a true leader brian i want to bring you in on this conversation you and i've worked together for a long time you've seen how that team worked when i was running that program what do you think how do you think they respected and took those those roles and responsibilities Can't hear you, but you ran a pretty tight knit group when you were there. You had a great team. They supported you, stood behind you from what I saw. I worked with you a little bit on a few occasions there. And yeah, it seemed like you had it together. And do you think it's because that utilizing that model that we learned, you and I both learned as young men, using that model to give them the authority and the responsibility to do things, right? Does that, that got them ownership? I believe that they got the ownership. Do you think that's? 100%. It gives them the responsibility, the ownership for it. They took the job seriously. Mm -hmm. They knew people depended on it. But it's not just, hey, this is your responsibility. It's why this is your responsibility and how that fits into the cog of everything else. And if one thing falls apart and they all knew that, so they did their jobs to the best of their abilities and the machine ran well. And 
I'm going to jump in. I'm assuming there's a underlining part that you haven't, neither one of you discussed, but when you bring the authorities and you allow them to run with it, with all the training you've given them, you're implying and showing that you trust them. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing because when you are showing that trust, everything will work. It doesn't, if you don't have that trust and you micromanage or you're like, yeah, you're going to this training, you're doing this, and you're always biting at the heels of them, I guarantee you it probably was not going to be a tight ship. There's probably a lot of little things that would start falling apart. But because you trusted, you showed them and they saw. And mm. you never had to use that word because your actions reflected that that emotion, that feeling. And that's the biggest thing. Well, Great. You know, I think, sorry to jump in, but okay. I think that Todd, you and I, we understand the importance of communicating the mission to every single person yeah. on the team. Be the person at the gate, the person passing out water, to the team leader running an entire team. And when one person falls, somebody else is there to pick up that ball to accomplish the mission because they understand what the mission is. That being said, one of the, they were activated like this organization. It wasn't just training and stuff. Like they, we utilized our volunteers extensively. We had a really horrific event that occurred in the city that we're, where this guy came in and shot a bunch of people up and our cert team and our volunteer police services and our ham radio operators, they all responded to do different jobs and they all knew what their role was. And without asking, without directing them, without saying, this is what I want you to do. They, t it was a very, very hot day. And one of the team leaders took it upon themselves to make sure that they got a little carts, like, uh, mm -hmm. um, I want to say the, like those like little carts. strollers, not strollers, wagons, those little wagons, okay. right? They put a cooler on some wagons and they walked around to everybody on the perimeter, make sure that they had cold water, ice water. That's awesome. And it didn't have to be asked for because they knew that was part of the mission of keeping people. <laughs> I know I always say stay hydrated, but it was like part of the mission is keeping those people hydrated um, on the perimeter first. and safety. One thing it's funny because you always say stay hydrated and hydration is so important. My wife and I, we like to ride bicycles. And in Los Angeles, they have these awesome events called Cyclavia. Yes. And we went to the Hollywood Cyclavia because you get to cruise your bike. They close Hollywood Boulevard and you're just like king of the road. And it's a good time. Afterwards, we loaded our bikes. We went to a Starbucks and there is a deputy sheriff fresh from the academy no car he's on foot by himself no other deputy in sight and it's 110 degrees and he's just sweating and we're sitting inside cooling down in the air conditioning sipping hot coffee and just enjoying it and it's 25 minutes later and this guy's had zero support he doesn't have water he doesn't have a canteen so i went and bought a bottle of water and i took it out to him and i said hey deputy you know you probably use this and he was so grateful for that and that led me to think this poor guy, his leadership just stuck him on some street yeah. corner with zero shade, zero support, nothing. He had nothing. And it's a shame. And it, it happens is, a lot. It does. 
And just because they have the job duty and you just stick them at the post doesn't mean that's it. You're done. Forget it's gone. And I think two points that you both brought up with the deputy and just with the missions was transparency. When you clearly communicate the mission and what is expected, you are again building that transparency and that trust because it's not a hidden information. It's this is what it is. It's clear cut. This is what we're going to go and do. This is your assignments. This is your aids. And guess what? You just being here and telling him all that shows that I'm here for your support. And I'm here to give that water bottle. If that leader was around, are you good? Do you need water? Here's your water bottle. Or in your case, sir already knew what to do because everything was so clearly communicated. And But they also know that more missions are going to come through and they know they could come to you as a resource without hesitation. And I think that's really a key component with the, with our teams. And when we're developing these teams is that the two T's transparency and trust. And that comes through communication. You know what? One thing that I see so many younger, newer, complacent leaders do is they realize who the workhorses are and then they abuse them. Yeah. They run them into the ground. And it's a shame to see and because they end up leaving the organization because they were abused. Definitely. No, it happens a lot, right? Because you lean on who's going to do the work. And then and the other part of it too is that when you do that, when you, as Brian's saying, you lean on those workhorses, and you're not cutting the dead wood out from underneath it. The workhorses get burnt out and complain and pissed, mm -hmm. right? That why am I doing all this? This person over here is sitting here drinking the coffee. So sometimes you have to, even volunteers, right? Sometimes you have to cut that, the volunteer who is not doing well because it could become a cancer. On on the organization and i think that's a tough decision is like when you take somebody who is being negative and bringing negativity to the organization cutting them and having to make that decision and so i think that's that is where it's hard with especially with the volunteers and the thing is as a leader we always wanted to say see the rainbow and unicorns and the marshmallows and the glitter and have all the fun and, and having this perfect team and one of the things that we tend to forget is that sometimes we do have to not be always so pretty and we have to do corrective measures but when we start that think about it if you're allowing a negative effect and we're just going to say time like everybody's always late and you keep doing it, those who are always on time, they're going to become, they're going to start like holding a grudge and not wanting to produce. So like those workhorses, what do they do? They start becoming a little bit bitter. I'm not going to do this. I'm not mm -hmm. going to do that. Cause so-and-so is not being corrected. Silent quitting. Silent, exactly. Silent quitting. So what happens is we, sometimes we have a fear of, I don't like the word disciplining, but redirecting. And we don't understand that redirection is actually trying to come from a loving place to better your employee because you see the good in that person, even though they're not doing the best thing. And when you see it as a mentorship, as a coaching opportunity and saying, hey, Jackie, I know these last couple of weeks you've been coming in 
15 minutes late, but let's come on and try to come a little closer. This is just a very lame term of an example, but because you say, because you're telling them I, you're very important and valuable on the team. We need to make sure that you show that leadership because you're so good and we need you on time for A, B, C, and D. And just really try to redirect and reform that cancer will stop growing because mm. that that everybody's starting to notice like, okay, it's an equal playing field and we're all equally valued. And when we all make a mistake, we're going to be coached to become better employees, better volunteers, better whoever it is. And we should never make it personal, always be professional about it. And you can't control what other people are going to feel afterwards, but you can control the situation a little bit better and know that people's reactions are always caused by something else. So if we always go back to the root fact of what's going on, why is Jackie always been late for the last two weeks? It's not typical or what's this? If you go into it a little bit more and understanding your policies of your organizations, guess what? You're showing two things that you care about your organization, but you also care about your employee because you know that that activity or what they're doing is outside of their character yeah. again. And then it goes back to communication, transparency, and trust. And the cancer will slowly either go away or not continue to grow because it's not a conversation you want to have. But it's a conversation that will uplift the organization tenfold because how many people silent quit or just quit in general because the cancer continues to grow and grow? Yeah, what does it say? You don't quit a job, you quit the boss. Brian, you want to say something? You know, this thing about quiet quitting. Quiet quitting, yeah. I, quitting. I understand the concept, but I also have to look at that leader. If you're not managing the productivity of your employees and you don't realize they're slowing things down and not being as effective as they are, that's a red flag right there where you could jump in and mentor and maybe turn that individual around so you don't have a head to replace. Absolutely. But it gets back to that lackadaisical attitude of some managers. Jackie, we were talking about how a lot of people are promoted into supervisory and managerial roles because they've been there the longest. They have tenure. Without giving thought to, does this person possess leadership skills? Do they want a leadership role? It's just, oh, you've been here the longest. You're the new manager. And then they wonder why things aren't going well. It's insane. Todd? I worked with a couple of guys that never wanted to promote. <clears throat> they were happy to be patrol officers out there driving around in circles, doing what they wanted to do. So it's working there three days a week and then, you know, their buyback shift once a month, 72 hours. Or... So they're happy doing that. They didn't want to be a sergeant. They want to be a corporal. They didn't want to be a captain, lieutenant, chief ever. They did 25 years and then they quit. They retired and were happy on, on, on their way. So you have people like that. And then you have those that, I've been on the job for six weeks and they already think they have the ability to be there. And I think that as leaders, you have to balance between those people. And that's why I want to go back into the concept of leadership. When Jackie was saying it's not a title or it's not with a title, those senior 
field workers, right? Whether they're firefighters, police officers, paramedics, whatever they are, the guys that are driving around in circles and gals, they're driving around in circles in, in the in their vehicle, right? Public safety wise. Or the the line worker who's happy to be the be content as being just the an emergency manager line worker, right? Doesn't want to be the emergency manager, doesn't want to promote up. They're leaders as well because yes. they're the ones that are going to mentor those new employees, whether they are doing it officially or unofficially, right. even if they're not an FTO, they're, they're, people are going to look up to them or not. They're, they can actually drive the culture of the organization. And if you think about going back to sports, right? We talked a lot about sports. You have the guy who is the, the coach, right? You have the franchise quarterback, like a Tom Brady, right? But then you have those guys that are journeyman linemen who have been playing football for the last six, eight years and really are taking those new kids that are coming out of college into the NFL and showing them the ropes. And I think those people are just as important as those that are designated as leaders officially. Absolutely. Like when I was in recreation before my, I call it my past life before emergency management, but I will tell you my, the leaders in the organization were my part-timers. They were hands on, did not have the senior recreation director title. They were just part-time recreation assistants, but guess what? They were not just part-time. They were the leaders of the community. They ran the camps, they ran the sports and they did it with just such grace and like everybody else that makes the team, they were the team. And the best thing I could do as the leader and manager of that time was support them and let them go and have that team development. And each of them took a role. One was the trainer, one was the camp director, one was the arts and crafts instructor, but they did it all together. And they're not the ones with the title. And that's what taught me. They taught me and they were my leader half the time. And I was just turning around. Like, what do you need for me? How can I direct you? Mm -hmm. How can I make yeah. your job better? How can I make you successful? Because at the end of the day, our facility or my position wasn't successful because I did it by myself. I did it because of them. And they were successful because they had each other, but I supported them with my resources, my background, whatever I could do. And that's something sometimes we forget is that it doesn't matter where you are in the food chain, you are equally important and you are equally viable. And just because you have one title and this person has the other title, it's not going to sing together. The chorus right. is going to be off. If the sopranos aren't singing with the altos and the bass aren't going with the tenors, guess what? You're going to have, I don't care how great of voices you're going to have. It's going to sound terrible. It's going to be the right, worst right, thing right. you ever heard in your life. And that's what it is. It's bringing those talents and conducting them and you being that resource and that foundation for them to be great. Yeah. Like even individual sports or perceived individual sports, like Brian, you were doing bicycle race, bicycle racing for a while. It's a, it really is a team sport because mm -hmm. like in that person who's driving the peloton, right, and trying to either set that pace and or deciding when to do a break and do, do the chase vehicle or, or do the chase vehicle. The, what's it called? The breakaway, Brian? The little the group before the peloton. Is it called the breakaway or whatever? I uh never cycled competitively but yes i believe it's the breakaway yeah so you got so you got like the peloton you get the breakaway and then like that there might be a guy who's 
not the going to be the winner, right? Like Lance mm-hmm. Armstrong, regardless if you like his issues or not, he's right. won. So Lance Armstrong might not be in that breakaway because that guy's trying to tire out the group, right? So there's a strategy that goes in there, and if you're not coordinating together, it can really screw things up. And that's really goes into that journeyman, that right. person who's knows the stuff that's that's going around in the organization. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead, Brian. You want to say something? One one thing you rarely hear in leadership books or leadership speakers, and we haven't talked about it yet, is perception. How important perception is. When you have a leader that smokes and jokes with the boys or girls, the team loses a little respect. And going back to that leader that has that core group that he always depends on because he knows he can get the work done. He might not realize he's really wearing them out, but then the people that he doesn't call on regularly, their perception is, Oh, I'm not in the click. Yeah. I'm not in the group. I'm not as valuable. And it's really can be cancerous because of perception and whether it's perceived or or a reality, it's still, you know, detrimental. I did a piece on that, on, on perception and really what that means. And like how the only, I hate that term that perception is reality, even though maybe that's what it kind of is because people perceive, as Jackie and I was talking about this today, people perceive that small box of where they inter, where they interact with you as being what the truth is. And you're much more than that small little box that you have been spending time with. And Brian, you and I had this conversation about somebody else just recently. Like how well do you really know the people that you work with? Because you're only, even if you're spending 18, 16 hours a day with them, you're getting that slice of who they are. You're not necessarily knowing what happens when they leave the door and they go into the door of their home or the church or wherever else they're spending time. You only get to see that little bit of them. And you make up, you make up opinions and things based upon those. So the perception, and it, it's almost impossible, and it's not impossible, but right. almost impossible for you to really drive what how other people perceive you. Because once they have that in their head, it's really almost impossible for them to change what they feel that they know about. I want to push back here a little bit. Sure. Because if a leader isn't behaving, in my opinion, the way a leader should be, and that employee is thinking that's the reality of their relationship because they're inside that little box, that leader set the standard. And that is that employee or volunteer's perception of reality, their reality. And I don't think that leaders sit back thinking, how was I perceived today? Mm-hmm. How can I change my behaviors to be perceived in a better light in the future? <laughs> and, you know, I think that is, again, something that should be taken into a higher account than it is. Okay, I'll push you back on that too, right? Because Brian vapes, right? You can't see him, but he vapes. There, there are times when we're on calls and he's vaping on a call and people may perceive right, wrong, or different uh, how they feel about vaping that he's something that he might not be because he's doing the vaping and, and maybe there's perception that Brian 
or doesn't care about whatever. And I don't think, and because there's that, that, that stigma around vape or smoking or whatever, like those habits. And that, that's just a very, again, a very small fraction of what Brian does, right, on a daily basis. But if you only interacted with him for that two, three minute section and he took a vape and you go, oh, I don't like vaping. So Brian's this bad person. That's a very strong opinion that you have somebody for a small time that you're spending with them. That's my point about that. And you, and then it's going to be hard to change that perception on somebody who already made them their mind up based upon that small interaction they've had with you. And so a lot of times specifically with what we do in our right. world is that you're only spending that fraction of time with people, whether it's in front of the city council, when you're doing a presentation, you, if they catch you on a bad day, I, and I'll, I'll give you a true example. I was out, we're setting up for a, a preparedness fair, and I was actually doing work, right? <laughs> what I mean by that is like setting up tents and stuff like this. And I was like sweat. I, I'm just sweat. My, my shirt's all salty, literally, because the salt's coming off of you. I need to go take a shower before the thing started, but I was just, I was going to. And like, this one of the city council members who's never met me before comes over and sees me. And I look like shit. And that was his perception of me. Like, I'm this guy and like, I'm representing the city of Dana point at the time. And he calls the city manager and he's like, who's this guy representing the city that looks like crap. And, and I'm like, so he saw me for that split second in the middle of doing hard work on a hot day, sweating like a freaking pig with salty rims all over my shirt i did look like crap but if he took that away and that was all he ever saw of me then you would think i'm a slob which i'm i took a shower and i put new clothes on and i look look much better for the presentation i didn't go there looking like that but if, that's what i'm talking about so that small little chunk of perception that you have can really ruin that and that's a city council member absolutely and there's not times that you can't it is what it is and i would have hoped he would have had a better judgment say dude this guy is like hustling and really working hard to get this going and be appreciative but i think we all should be also be cognizant of our actions even though we know perception is not always reality just being somewhat cognizant of the area you're going to be and this is has nothing to do with the example you just give because that's just different but for example, you're not, if I was a vapor, I'm not going to go in front of everybody and start vaping right then and there. I would be a little bit more cognizant of where I'm going to go and do that. But like cell phones, we use cell phones now to communicate everywhere. And sometimes people are even taking notes and mm. they're using it. So I'm going to apply this. You're like this. Half the time, most people are thinking, why are you texting in the yeah. middle of this <laughs> instead of anything so just be cognizant a little bit more and, and maybe apply a little bit of a different strategy if you're going to be taking notes with your phone or your ipad just because there's so many different levels of perception and it's just tagging on to that a little bit more of an emotional intelligence and reading the room that you're going to be in if most people most depending on who you work with text whatnot they'll see it in two or three different ways, right? So if you understand the group you're going to be with and understand who you're associating with, 
that's how you're going to learn. Okay, maybe I shouldn't use my phone as I am right now and make that perception. Maybe I could do a little keypad or put it down so they could see my note, how I'm doing the note part or whatnot. But it's very cognizant. And I think one of the greatest tools that we could teach our employees is that emotional inte intelligence and that and understanding to read the room and reading the tones because it will build them to be better leaders. And when they are taking projects and you're not there, you are already trusting in them that they're going to represent the organization or the agency or yourself or whoever you want the representation to be 10 times better because they're getting strong tools and tool bag. And leadership is all about that. It's about mm -hmm. relationships and development and knowing your surroundings. EQ is probably more important in mm -hmm. leadership than IQ. And and I'll make that statement pretty bold right there. I really think because I think I think I accuse you. You have it or not, right? You're you're right. gonna score a 190 on that'd be like super genius. But I think like the average IQ is like 125, right? You're gonna score you're gonna score like a 180 on an IQ, and you're more 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 yeah. smarter. <laughs> My IQ is very small. <laughs> smarter than. Einstein, right? The most smartest? The most smartest. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had to say it. I had to go there. <laughs> yeah, so you get that, right? And But the EQ, right, isn't just, oh, can I do equations and understand this? It's, it is it is how you read the room and how you read people and having that. And then the, the other side of it, too, is empathy, right? Yes. Having And I think as emergency managers and emergency management leaders, we need to have empathy because we are really, when we are at our, our, our prime, when we're where we're needed the most, yeah. it's on the people's worst, worst day, right? I was having a conversation with a group of people that were pissed off because they were evacuated. This just happened just the other day up at Hemet. Uh, they were evacuated because they, uh, the fire came to their house and people on their street, they actually lost two neighbors died and one got severely burned. So they, they understand, but they evacuated out. One of the guys needed to get back into his house to get medicine. And they were staying at a hotel. And the, the guy's like, all the medicine you need, you have at the shelter, which I, I, that's, I've never heard that before. But, you know, we'll just go with whatever the CHP officer told him. And, or uh, sheriff, I'm not sure who it was. I don't want to bang on the CHP. I said, hey, you can't go back over here. And the guy's like, no, this is my diabetes medicine. I need to get up there. Yeah. And so understanding that things that you can do, there's the letter of the law, and then there's that side of it. But having the empathy to understand that you're dealing with people's emotions that are raw, that may have lost their homes, that may have lost loved ones, that may have lost pets, things like this. And yes, having that empathy, I think, is critical too. So I think EQ is critical to be in emergency management and to be emergency management leaders, you need to have that. And one of the things that I mentioned recently with some of my colleagues is EQ needs to go into your planning because sometimes what we're not noticing, we do this. Like how, you said, how, how would you do that? Just I put some magic and glitter on it and just call <laughs> it. That's my EQ. And there we go. No, just Understand hearing the stories, the after actions, the lessons learned, oh, yeah. all okay. that stuff, and really believing in the whole community approach. And when you're doing the plans, let's say we, we talked about shelters right now. So we'll talk. It's the first time emergency managers are public facing for real. And so 
that's when the community really sees us in a lot of ways and in, in, in another aspects but for emergency management. And if we draw that back and when we're doing our plans and understand, okay, these plans of setting up shelters or local assistance centers or animal services or whatnot, who are we serving and how are they going to come to us? And we're not, they're not, it's not a party. It's, it's, and a disaster, a disturbance, an emergency, a catastrophe, a pandemic, whatnot. And if when we write the plans, we're like, okay, people are not coming. They're happy to see us, but in need. What services may we need to help them go through this? Because we're going to be the first line of defense. And now it's a big thing, but mental health, behavioral health. But also think they're coming with families. What are other things? emotional intelligence or EQ items that we could put in maybe areas for children to color or play or a outstation so they could smell the roses or therapy animals just but when you're planning it always think of who are we serving at this time and not just bunch the community as a whole but maybe the possibility of how they're going to come to you and if you think about that and building it out, then your stakeholders and I and the plan, we were always revising it, but could always get better and better. And we're noticing that, for example, mental health is a huge thing in the shelter. Because it's not because anybody's coming with anything. It's just the problem is. They just witnessed a fire. Yeah. <laughs> just, they just had an earthquake. They, their uh, home is gone. Their possibly. home is gone. Their, their pets are gone. Their family might have been Exactly. Injured, right? It's not because of anything else. Just simply something interrupted their life. Vance Taylor, if you guys don't know who Vance Taylor is, you need to look him up. Um, he's just an amazing person. Yeah, he, um, he works with disabled and functional needs here in California. He's spoken internationally on it, and he's now doing some stuff with the White House. Mm -hmm. uh, when it comes to this amazing person, good friend of mine, he was talking to my master's class, my, and I and he was talking about looking forward and planning. And so they went to the shelter, and they couldn't get. He couldn't. He's in a wheelchair, and he couldn't get into the door. So to get to showers, and so he had to order showers. It took him forever to get there, and so people that were coming that could not get through the door were without cleaning themselves for four or five days. And he goes to the story and says, finally the showers get there and everybody felt great. And so the next year the fire happens in the same location. For whatever reason, California, we like to do that. <laughs> and same thing, same place. And they actually fixed the issue with the door. And the leadership of being able to change, physically change a building to allow people to come in just to get a shower was amazing. And that means that the people who saw the issue had the empathy to go and we can just order shelter or showers right. again. We can, we, last time we just got temporary showers and that worked. No, they said they, they need to be able to get in to side inside the doors, just like everybody else. And we're going to remove this bar. And I think that's the type of empathy that we're talking about. And the leadership that Vance showed, because he wasn't, although he was upset, he didn't yell at the guys because it wasn't right. their fault that the building was built the way it was built he said hey this needs to be fixed and he worked with them to make sure that it got fixed so having that understanding 
and leaning forward. I like to say this a lot, leaning forward. I think leadership at the end of the day is leaning forward to see issues, be empathetic about those issues, and talk to your team about those issues and make that occur. Brian, what do you think? Like, What is your area where you think leadership really shines? Can you state that question a different way, maybe? Where leadership shines. Where, when you think of like empathy or you think of IQ, EQ, and you think of those areas that like really make a, a leader step up. Like, why does everybody love General Mathis? Because of what he's done, say, compared to, I don't know, another general who's unnamed. In, in my opinion, he led from the front. He was honest. He was open. He voiced his expectations. And he let his boys do what his boys needed to do. Yep. I, I think looking at a leader and trying to gauge their ability to lead, you, you have to look at who they lead. Right. And what the morale is like and what that culture is like. And I went and listened to Daniel Pink speak and he did an entire section. It's probably an hour and a half on autonomy and you need to give your employees autonomy. Now I'm not saying I was a bad employee, but I was that employee who'd find that line and write it. And if I could get away with something, I'd get away with it. And that's just my nature. And, but I, what I realized during this session is I was projecting that onto my employees and it was a hard pill for me to swallow. And I came back and I had a meeting with them and I said, look, I want to give you guys autonomy. You both have laptops. You have the software you need. You can access all our files online. If you feel you can better serve our customers from home, serve them from home. If you feel you need to be here to do it, show up here. And as long as the work's getting done and the work's getting done to our standards, I'm cool whether you're here or not. If you want to wake up and go to the gym and come back and work for an hour and then go to school for a class or two and then come back and watch your favorite soap opera and then log in for a couple hours, I don't care as long as the work's getting done. And the respect that I feel they gained for me was tremendous. And they were happier. And in the beginning, they're texting, hey, I'm going to be a little late. And I would reply, awesome. See you when you get here. Drive safe. Don't care. Because it's like, I, you don't have to tell me you're coming in. You don't have to. I can see if you're logged in. I can see if the work's getting done. And as long as it is, I said I was cool. And they've slowly accepted that responsibility and are communicating less with me on whether they're going to be here or not. And in my opinion, they're getting more work done in less time and I've got no issues, but that was a hard pill for me to swallow because of my past behavior when I wasn't the boss. Mm -hmm. Because you could know what could happen because maybe you've written you that line and you're like, oh, if I could have done it, then they could have done it. But you said something that I think a lot of people do not correlate with empathy which is standards. And I think if you do set standards and say, hey, this is 
the game plan. This is where I want to go. This is what I expect. This is by how I could support. And this is where we're going. You have, you're holding them accountable, but then again, you're showing who you are and then you're trusting in them and they're showing who they are. And you can empathize when they're going to start if certain things happen because you're building that relationship because you set a game plan that everybody's going to follow. So it goes again, like you could tell when somebody's not up to par, but maybe because they're off for some reason, but you wouldn't know because you didn't build that relationship and that standards to follow. And as a leader, you didn't read it because they're showing it to you because they're following the standards. But if you're not, if you're not doing it or holding them accountable to standards or training them on those standards, then you lose everything and you have no emotion. Not when I'm talking emotion, I'm not like, oh, crying or happy, but you just, that relationship is dead. And when you have a dead relationship, empathy is no longer is existent. So a lot of us like the skeleton. So you dress it up and dress it down. When we, but that, that, that helps. That empathy card is both sides of the coin though. You have to be empathetic, understanding, and supportive of your staff serving the community in your two cases and of what the community wants and or needs. You know, the old saying, the customer's always right. If you've owned a business, you know they're not. I have a customer who pushed back on one of my employees who hasn't been dropping balls. And I took the time to talk to that employee and realize you did your job. She missed it. The customer missed. And I pushed back on the customer saying, hey, this was done this date and time. It must have been missed in your inbox. But here's the original email sent 14 days ago. And I made sure to CC the employee on it because I want them to know I have their back. We are a team. We're here to serve a bunch of customers, but I'm just not going to take somebody's word for it. I mean, everything we do nowadays, especially here in the studio, is digital. There's a digital trail for everything that's done. And Todd, yeah. how many times have you said, Brian, I can't find that email? And yeah. I'll take the time to find the original in my scent and forward it to you again. And that's just habit to me because some people, and I don't even know why we're getting way off topic because butterfly. <laughs> some people would rather ask for it again than find the original that was sent them. Oh, yeah. But that's disrespectful to me. Why are you disrespecting my time by not clearly managing your own inbox? So I always, and we have a few customers where the rule is, when they ask for something that's already been done, you wait at least four hours before you reply. Nine times out of 10, you're going to get an email within an hour because it's an emergency for them. I need this right yep. now. Usually within an hour, we're going to get an email. Oh, disregard. I found it. So we just go, oh, she lost something again. I'm going to hold off. But that's part of building that team, strengthening that team, letting employees and customers know where loyalties lie, yep. where leadership isn't easy. It's multifaceted. You need to be on your A game all the time. It's okay to let your hair down on occasion. Todd, you've been here 
we've brought pizza in or something and right. we can all sit back and BS a little bit, but I'm always the first one done. I'm always the first one back to work because even though I sat and joked a little bit, it's still a place of business and we've got work to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And that's leading from the front. And that's where I was thinking, you know, you take a look at Mathis or you take a look at some of the, the, the generals that I can think of. And I, I know I go back to the military a lot because it's easy, right? To talk about leadership, but you see the same thing when it comes into crisis management, into organizations. Um, Brock Long, for instance, who sat on the floor of Congress and got freaking blasted. He said, wait, wait, wait. You will not talk about the men and women of FEMA like this. You can hit me up all you want. You can yell at me. You can blame me. But you will not talk about the dedicated men and women of FEMA the way you're talking about them right now. Because they need your support, which you are not giving them. Right? And I'm paraphrasing this conversation. You can find it on C-SPAN. I was just like, that right there, <clears throat> that conversation that he had with Congress gave me the biggest respect for Brock Long. And that's where I was like, I like this guy. And what's his leadership quote? What's his leadership? He shared it at a HSAC summit here in Los Angeles. And he says, lead with a servant's heart. And that's his philosophy. And he shared that with all of the emergency managers at that time. And I think that's what it is. And that, that example that you gave of him is somebody that does lead with a servant's heart. And it shows. And I think that's huge. Like, there, there's a concept of mama bear, right? And I'm huge with mama bear. And I think that's what he does. Like, you don't talk to the people like that. That's our team. You have an issue, you come to me. I, but you don't talk to people like that. You don't act like that. And that's the hardest thing because nobody wants to be a punching bag. But a leader will show in the good times and the bad times you're always going to support them and you're always going to be there. And one of the times is maybe being that punching bag, but you're going to stand up and defend your team. Whether they're right or wrong, you're always going to defend your team. And if there's a lesson learned, you go back to the drawing board, around some pizza, a little bit of training, and make that better. But you don't allow any negativity to break into that circle because if you do, you're breaking trust. That's one thing I tell my team all the time, and Jackie, you, you know this because you're part of my group is that I will do anything I will can for my team. I will. And I say, I'll kick in doors, break down walls and bust open windows. If I need to do this for you guys, I need whatever support that you need. I am there for you. And I mean that, right. When things happen, if we're putting that conference on, we, we need some additional support. And there are times when I had to go, okay, let me make that phone call for you to make sure it can happen. And sometimes you had to come and kick my butt a little bit on stuff too. Let's just be real. There's times that things you have to have that little swift kick in the, you know what to get it. But why? Because you care because you believe you trust in the team to get it done because, and you know us enough to, okay, I need to do a little swift kick in the tuchus because I know this is not the product that so that I produce or so, and so. but the same thing. Oh wait, you're not getting that information you need to get this done. Let me make those phone calls. Yeah, and it's it's double, but it's showing that you care, you communicate, you're transparent, and you believe in us. Believe and that. and that's what's the most important factors of a leader. And if you want to buy in, like I said, 
transparency, trust through communication. And that's the buy-in. Because if you're the micromanager, people will be like, okay, well, you don't trust me. You go ahead and do it yourself because you don't trust me. But you're like, hey, I trust you enough. What resources do you need me? And then when you need help, you just go, hey, let me tweak it here. Yeah. But you believed it. Right. And that's what I think is what leaders should start mentoring towards their staff so they can become the best leaders possible because they're going to one day take our positions. We're not going to be here all the time. I want to retire. Not soon, unfortunately, but I have a day that I want to retire, but whoever's going to be behind me, I want them to be as great. Actually, no, I take that back. I don't want them to be good as me. I want them to be different, but better. And because everybody's unique, but I want them to go and do it. And if they, if I mentored them and got them that little grain of salt to go, awesome. If it was somebody else better, I'm going to support it. But that's what you want. You want the next generation come and do what you do. But you also want to teach those generations your time will come. Don't yeah. rush into it. You don't have to be the CEO in six months. You don't have to be the senior planner in one year. Take the amazing opportunity of being new and fresh into the environment. And I see new and fresh anything under five years. And just soak it in that everybody wants to teach you. And just embrace it. And you are going to pick what you want. And you as a good leader, as you as a good director of emergency manager or senior planner, will know that you're going to give those same tools to everyone for equity. Obviously equity, but because you believe in your team. Hey, Brian, you got any parting words? Thank you, everybody, for your time today. <laughs> Brian leads with coffee. His morning routine is coffee. And all of his good conversations with his team, including this team, is around coffee. So we know that. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's part of it. Leadership Cafe and Leaders Cafe is because sometimes you know that special thing about your leader. You center it around and good things come. So good things come out of these podcasts and these sessions because we do it around coffee. Absolutely. And everybody, thank you so much for supporting us here at the Emergency Management Network and sitting down with us and having a cup of coffee. And also, don't forget to check out when we do our lives. Make sure you guys, this is part of what you guys have is being able to come in and participate in the live conversation. We'll be having one of those pretty soon. We'll see you guys on the live event. And again, thanks for spending time with us today. Jackie, thank you so much for sitting in today. Thank you for the invitation. It was fun. I'll see you guys live and I'll come in live to join also. Thanks. And Brian, thanks for, for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Until next time, everybody, as always, stay safe, stay yeah. hydrated. Stay well, guys. <laughs>